Anybody know what the name of that song is? Uh-uh. Huh? Is it? Hello? Hello. <laughs> you know the name of that song, Dennis Lee? Uh, Stroke Me. Stroke Me? <laughs> well. <laughs> BP got okay. it. BP got it, the stroke. (laughs) I think it's just stroke. (laughs) And who's the artist? Well, you're right, BP. It is the stroke. I'm sorry. Who's the artist? And it always made me think about it It was Queen. It kind of sounded like had a Queen-esque sound to it. But know the name of the uh, artist? Billy Squire. Billy Squire. You looked it up, didn't you? You Googled it. No. No, I didn't no? Google it. No. Oh, okay. It just came to you? Well, I had it. I was thinking, I, I said Billy in my mind, kept saying, I don't know. It's not Billy Idol. <laughs> so I was arguing with myself until Squire came out. So. Oh, Billy, don't be a hero. <laughs> Indeed. Yep. That's Billy Squire. Uh, well, this is uh, Trice Talk. It's Sunday, golly, what is it? The 28th, last day of the month. And I'm Donald Last Wayne. day of the month. Yeah. We're rolling into March. Oh, yeah. So. You got a little echo there. I do. I have an yeah. echo. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let me check all of the buttons and the bells and whistles here. I'm pretty much, yeah, I'm on there. You still hear an echo? Hello? Yes. I'm still here. I don't hear an echo. <laughs> Uh, but you hear me, right, Eric? Yes. Okay. And you you can hear out both of us. Oh yeah. Well, I guess it's uh, uh, ringing in your ear. Maybe you have tinnitus, Dennis Lee. No, I still heard a little bit of it. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, it's okay. I don't. I don't we hello, all hear you. Hello, 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 hello. Yeah, I, we don't want to repeat it last week. I oh my goodness, to start we'll out this we'll week. This mine. Yeah, I'll be flipping out over here. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm Donald Wayne. I didn't hear anybody else say anything. So, oh, I'm Dennis Lee. Ah, there you go. This is Eric. And uh, yes, oh look, it's Eric. <laughs> it's, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> it's Eric. Uh, also, was that what you said last time? Of course, of, of course. course. <laughs> Eric, of course. I'm not using my last name, but but you probably see it on the call thing. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's shared with the world right here. <laughs> right. Well, it's <laughs> it's Sunday. We made it to Sunday, so y'all have a everybody have a decent weekend so far. Or well, they're almost closed out. So hmm. if well, you haven't um, had a good weekend, uh, it's too late. Well, uh, I went and went for a little house sitting venture over the weekend. Of course, um, uh, over at my brother and sister in law's place. Um, they have um like a like a little micro fish that belongs to my my one of my younger nieces marley and then a bearded dragon that belongs to my oldest niece and then they even have two chihuahuas what is a micro fish i think it's it's kind of like a, a little like mini fish um it's in like a small fish tank okay we used to call those minnows yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, too too big oh. to be a minnow but too uh, look, small oh, to be a regular God. fish I used to like those little neon fish. They they were kind of multicolored on their back, and but they were tiny. I mean, they were, you know, they were less than a quarter inch long. Yeah, well, we used to like sea monkeys, um, <laughs> but then, okay. yeah, I don't think they make those anymore. So, uh, well, actually, they're still around. Just they don't sell them as toys anymore. Somebody probably ate some. You know, had a negative. Like a fish called Wanda. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where you ate Wanda. Uh, I used to love aquariums, but I hated cleaning them. And I tried everything in the world. They said, oh, try this and it won't get so dirty and put snails in there and they'll keep the glass clean. No, I must have, I must have bought a bunch of lazy snails because the the glass still turned green. So yeah, I always had those algae eaters that I would get. Uh, look like little baby catfish. Yeah, I think they work from the catfish family. Um, now my aquarium is the uh, is is the screensaver on the TV. That's that's my big aquarium. That's oh. just kind of neat. <laughs> if you just just you don't you just focus on the center of the TV, you think you're looking at a big aquarium, and I don't have to clean it. I just turn it off. Hey, well, go to Ho. Oh, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't beat him as the fish there on Barney Miller. Oh well, that wasn't Come the on. fish. Though. Yeah, you're right. I forgot mm-hmm. about Abe. Yeah, well, BP brought that up there. Um, I love a fish called Wanda. I mean, I haven't actually seen that, and gosh, it's been over a year now. I used to watch that at least once a year. Hmm. Wanda, have you seen a fish called Wanda? I have, and I've seen the sequel, and I think there was only two that were made. A sequel? Yeah, they had another part to a fish called Wanda. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I, I usually don't get so like excited a, about those. Guppy called Lucy or something. I don't know. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> okay. Um, no, Surely it couldn't, couldn't have been as funny as the first one. They, well, um, no, nah, it was it was okay. Um, still I had like John Cleese in it. I like the part where John Cleese and 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 um, Wanda were at that guy's flat overlooking the river, and then these people came in <laughs> to to the flat while they were there. He's standing there in his underwear. Um, <laughs> John Cleese was funny. I mean, he kind of made that movie for me. Anyway. Talking about fish. All that just evolved from talking about a, an aquarium. That's the way it goes. Doesn't take much. Um, all right. Well, I guess we can uh, 
You got something to ch- 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 chatter about there, Dennis Lee? Well, I was hoping that you would bring it up because unfortunately, I didn't get to see any of uh, any of CPAC today. Didn't old uh, Neither President did I. Trump? Uh, well, I actually have, have a, a little bit CPAC. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it, but I, I do have a story on that. Oh, short, okay. Well, shortly, we might hold that over then. Yeah. I heard it was pretty revealing on what his future may be with the Republican Party. Um, yeah, I think the 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 reception he got, but then of course I read an article which I was going to bring out later, but that you know they kind of advertised the that CPAC as being uh, a support Donald Trump event, so they they you know the detractors are calling it uh, well you know what do you think that they would who they would support when they advertise that this is more or less a big trump rally in florida so you know but yeah there's i've got some got some uh facts from that i, I don't have any uh any of his speeches i thought might do that on tuesday night because i couldn't find anything posted online yet um but you know it 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 should be interesting yeah. But they're already dogging him. I mean, they're already dogging the Republicans. And I mean, you know, they, they're saying, you know, they shouldn't have even had it. It's, it was just a waste of time. How can you support this man? So, you know, the usual stuff. Well, you, I did have something. I mean, this just pertains to Georgia. But, you know, um, Georgia senators are considering to end daylight savings time in, you know, our fair state here. I had not um, heard that until you mentioned that you were going to talk uh, uh, about it. Yeah, I know. Fair state's a stretch. But uh, anyway, uh, a bill passed, uh, and this was from three days ago, so this, this would have been last week, but a bill passed last Wednesday, and the Georgia Senate would do away with daylight savings time. Uh, and it's still, now it's got to go on to the Georgia House. Um, but that's about all there is about it. They really haven't gone into... Uh, to any other big uh, to do about it, I guess once it passes the house, if it does, then um, then they'll they'll come out and uh, so they want to do they want to do away with daylight savings and just stay in the they, yeah. Um, well, and I know it. It would also require, I think, federal government approval too. Well, I read it. I, I was I looked at that article that you referenced um, mm-hmm. since you said you were going to talk about it, and I saw in there that uh, to Eric's point, it said that states have a right to go, you know, to do away with daylight savings time. But then there were some people that were also talking about in Georgia that they would much rather see the state go on to daylight saving times permanently. Now that would take approval by the federal mm-hmm. government that doesn't make sense to me why why is it okay to do one and and not to do the other but uh some people are upset because you know that means the sun wouldn't come up in december till eight thirty in the morning i think is what i read which uh for me right now that would be okay but I'd, yeah <laughs> some people I, mean, I, I would i would do that um as my understanding like a while back florida was proposing you know wanting to do daylight savings time permanently and the and the part of like the panhandle west of Apalachicola River, all like uh, as far as like Pensacola and Destin, you know, they wanted to move that part of the panhandle also into the eastern time zone instead of it staying in the central time zone. 
Well, that'd mess up their line. <laughs> I know, right? That line. Well, some of them are actually kind of crooked anyway, especially when you get to mountain time. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, whoa! What's that mean about the mountain folks? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, I know. I mean, the line is kind of <laughs> kind of funky, you know, when you get up to 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 the mountain time. Know, just, um, it's funny how it's kind of narrows out down on the southern end. I think isn't it the central time zone that's one of the largest of of the four? Oh yeah, I yeah. think it covers the biggest area because it picks up at uh, the Alabama border here and then all the way to where we're Lubbock, Texas. Texas or something like that. El I know Paso. it's before you get to El Paso, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, you know, and there's, I think it article said there was two States right now that, that, uh, do not recognize daylight savings time. And there was right. one city Arizona, in the Hawaii. state. I think there was a city in a state that didn't recognize the rest of the state recognized it, but this particular Evansville, Indiana, I believe. Is that what it was? Okay. I believe so. Well, who cares in Evansville? I mean, unless we have anybody listening that lives in Evansville. I mean, if you do, no no offense against (laughs) Yeah, no offense, but Um, (laughs) it's not like it was New York City or anything like that. Oh, where we go cussing again. Um, (laughs) Not that New Yorkers are bad either. Just, you know. Um, your your governor needs to go. Yeah, Mister uh, Loose Hands or Loose Lips. <laughs> Whoa, Loose Hands, Loose, loose hands, hands and Loose Lips. Oh, my yeah, he's just loose all over, according to the. Uh, it's it's uh, <laughs> alleged. It's alleged. It's wow. we're not, we're, we have no proof here. Oh my goodness, we have is a. Sni- is he sniffing hair? Is that what we're talking about here? Or? <laughs> well, I, well, you know, it's funny that they talk about Cuomo, but you know, Joe Biden's the one that gets in people's faces. Um, I don't know. Maybe sniffing hair is okay. <laughs> I mean, I sniffing it, you know, is probably better than licking it, or you know, <laughs> maybe he's um, addicted to hairspray. You know, there are people could, you know that I huff mean, hairspray. Is there? Okay, I knew. Yeah. And people huff like gold paint and stuff, but uh, yeah, I didn't know hairspray. I, well, I think hairspray would be safer than paint. I don't know. Yeah. Both both of them are going to lacquer up your lungs, so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> new about, from there's, there's a new term: lacquer up your lungs. Lung lacquer. <laughs> you can't do any better than this, by George. Um, good shellacking of the lungs. You know what a movie I watched, um, and people have probably already seen it. Um, it was a movie. Uh, what was it? Elvis and Nixon. It's where Elvis Presley went to go meet uh, Nixon at the White House. Have you seen? I that? didn't know that. No, I didn't know. Oh, that. that's funny. That's funny. Was he a Republican then? Was Elvis a Republican? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. He was more of a Republican than anything. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I would call him definitely a Republican, but you know, it's loosely based, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. Um, we've been watching when we've had the chance <laughs> watching some, uh, more or less independent films here lately. There seems to be a lot of stuff on Netflix. That's, that's not, you know, out there in the mainstream, uh, watched one today called nomad land. Yeah, I've been looking at that. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, but it's uh, it's <laughs> it's one of those that you know it's not a real upper. Uh, you remember that movie? Um, 
it's it's about Schmidt. Oh uh, yes. Well, it's along that line. It's it's real. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a decent movie, but it's it's kind of depressing. So, oh. uh, it's it's supposedly based on a true story, but yeah, it's it's gonna get you in that mood like it's about Schmidt. You know, <laughs> it's uh, not gonna be one of those that you're gonna slap your knee and laugh and you know. But right. uh, if you like those, if you can stand those that are uh, kind of have a sad tone to it and. Yeah, it's about Schmidt. Was a little. It was, it was kind of sad. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I mean that was that guy. Jeez. So, but that individual. <laughs> but he had, he did have a big Winnebago, didn't he? <laughs> oh, allegedly. Um, <laughs> but so uh, going back to the time thing. <laughs> so yeah, I noticed that when when the article said that. Uh, the, the, the Georgia's uh, Republican Senate passed it and then it has to go to the house. And I'm, I kept, and I saw another article. Uh, I may even have that one on my agenda for tonight, but it also mentioned, Oh no, I guess that's what I, that was one I did earlier. Okay. Anyway, so it's mentioned that the Georgia Senate passed this bill and then it had to go to the, to the house. And I, I'm thinking, isn't that backwards? <laughs> I mean, is that, I, I didn't realize that's the way it worked here in Georgia. Right, the, the right. Senate would pass would, something and then send it to the House. I mean, that's kind of you would you would think it'd be the other way around. I mean, that's the way I've been programmed, so I, I need to look Uh-oh. at that. There's that word. What's Program. that? Programmed. <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't educated. I was programmed years ago. That's <laughs> right. He got a chip. Uh, yeah, I got i I got one of those things implanted. <laughs> Whoa. Well, I mean, you know, uh, that's a whole different show. Tom no no judgment. No judgment. Uh, we're not judging you here. Um, my goodness. So any more about the uh, change in the time? I mean, no, you have no, an opinion a, about that, Dennis Lee? I mean, uh, you know, know, honestly, honestly, I really, I really, it doesn't bother me either way. Because you're still going to do what you have to do, no matter if it's light or dark outside. So yeah, one or the other just makes it more difficult. So I think the farmer it was done more or less for the farmers and maybe even construction people originally, right. because farmers, you know, it helped them. But you know, I I don't know why you just can't move your clock. I mean, I mean, get up earlier or, or get up later if that's the case. I mean, I don't know. It seemed like there'd be an easier way than making everybody go through that. But uh, I, we we do have a Republican uh, House here in Georgia too, I believe, don't we? Yes. So yeah, we, for the meantime, we get yeah until the next election cycle. Yeah. But um, well, you know, and I talked about this on a mini pod, but they the Georgia Senate also has been busy uh, trying to uh, get some new bills passed uh, regarding uh, voters uh, procedures and so forth. in, in Georgia, they're, they're trying to pass a number of bills. They actually approved, uh, I think four, but they have to go to the house, you know, for their uh, consideration. 
but it looks like that they're trying to work ahead of schedule here and trying to get some things done before we get in the next election cycle next year. So uh, it remains to be seen whether they'll be passed by the House, but that's what they're working on. And they're already calling uh, the uh, Georgia Senate racist. Uh, they're trying to keep certain blocks of people from voting. So, Well, you know. Uh, what, would we expect anything less after this last election, so No, not at all. Not at all. Well, I've got just a, a semi-quick chatter on uh, this is something from Mike Huckabee, and I was kind of surprised when I heard it, And although I, I, I was concerned about this when Biden won the election. But uh, it was announced last night that John Durham was was resigning as of tonight uh as of midnight tonight so another 35 minutes oh, wow. he's resigning uh but it said uh, the article went on to say that most trump supporters hearing the news immediately assumed well that's it the real insurrectionists the coup plotters who abused the power of the federal government to try and overthrow the results of the 2016 election are going to get off scot-free and probably get cushy jobs in the Biden administration. Or I'll add CNN. That's where a lot of them go. Um, and while I wouldn't be at all surprised that if that does happen, this news doesn't mean that Durham's investigation of the crossfire hurricane targeting of the Trump administration is over. Fortunately, Trump and Attorney General Bill Barr foresaw the possibility before the election because and Biden's already fired a number of the U.S. attorney, U.S. attorneys, uh, including one investigating Democrat corruption in Illinois. That's a surprise. And named Durham as special counsel, a role in which he will continue. Only the attorney general can fire special counsel. Now, of course, uh, Merrick Garland hadn't been approved yet by the Senate. So, but he probably will get, get approved. And if he does, then there's probably a good chance that he may try to get rid of Durham. But a, a lot of people are saying if he does, if it's kind of a catch 22 for them, if they get rid of Durham, then a lot of people everywhere are going to see that as an attempt to try to, to cover up information that he was working on. So, you know, they may let him stay, even if Merrick Garland gets, gets approval to become the attorney general. In fact, Garland was pressed on that during his confirmation hearing, but as with most questions, he dodged taking a firm stand. Other than that, he sees no reason why Durham shouldn't be left in place. You know, someone is trying to avoid giving you a straight answer when it takes them two negatives to make a positive statement. Uh, of course, and this is by Mike Huckabee, of course, ordering his AG to fire a special counsel who's investigating a scandal in which Biden and other members of Obama circle were allegedly deeply involved would be very bad optics and the kind of thing that would have Republicans demanding that a Republican president would resign over. But Democrats have built such a strong record of circling the wagons when one of their own commits impeachable offenses and looking the other way in order to hang on to power that I can't see that being much of a concern for Biden unless 
He's afraid that his fellow Democrats are looking for an excuse to show him to the door and bring in Kamala Harris. Uh, are we conservatives surprised that this would happen? I'm surprised that Dur Durham wasn't gone sooner, but then Democrats have been busy, you know, letting more illegals in the country, eliminating jobs for thousands of Americans, trying to spend more money that we don't have. So Durham was kind of, you know, he wasn't the most pressing thing in the room at that time. So mm. anyway, so he, even though he's out of the job that he was in, uh, he's been appointed special counsel. So maybe he can hang in there, but you know, I'm, I'm not too confident that he's going to bring out anything now. I mean, he's had what, two years to, uh, to, to give us something to chew on. And, uh, and so now I just can't imagine it's going to be easy for him to get, any information out of Washington, D.C. Everybody's no. going to be afraid to talk to him. Right. So I don't know. We'll see. And that's my chatter. Time will tell, sir. Time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, what a wicked beard thing that Durham has. You know that? Have you ever mm -hmm. noticed the pictures of Durham? <laughs> yes. It kind of looks like. <laughs> Kind of looks like a carpet sweeper or something. I don't know. It's huh. it's, it's kind of hard to see where the mouth slit is, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, if I can't a nickel for every time I said that. Uh... <laughs> Somebody said that to you? <laughs> Jeez. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess with that comment, we should. Do you have a this day in history, Dennis Lee? <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that, Donald Way. There's always a day in history. And as today, we have um, Watson and Crick discover chemical structure of DNA. Who? On <laughs> Watson, uh, Watson and old Crick. Um, uh, on February 28th, 1953, Cambridge University scientists James D. Watson and Francis H. C. Crick announced that they have determined the double helix structure of DNA, the molecule containing human genes. Um, though DNA, short for, oh my goodness. Dex <laughs> You're going to try to pronounce that? I'm, I, I am. Dex deoxyribonucleic acid <laughs> was discovered in 1869. Its crucial role in determining genetic inheritance um, wasn't demonstrated until 1943. In the early 1950s, Watson and Crick were only two of many scientists working on figuring out the structure of DNA. California chemist Linus Pauling suggested an incorrect model at the beginning of 1953, prompting Watson and Crick to try and beat Pauling at his own game. On the morning of February 28th, they determined that the structure of DNA was a double helix polymer or a spiral of two DNA strands, each containing a long chain of monomer nucleotides wound around each other like a primordial ancestral dance. I just threw that in there. Yeah. yeah seemed to be getting weird. <laughs> Stepped into that one. Uh. According to their findings, DNA replicated itself by separating into individual strands, each of which became the template for a new double helix. 
In his best-selling book, The Double Helix, in 1968, Watson later claimed that Crick announced the discovery by walking into a nearby Eagle pub and blurting out, we had found the secret of life. No telling if he was half lit or not. The truth wasn't that far off, as Watson and Crick had have solved a fundamental mystery of science, how it was possible for genetic instructions to be held inside of organisms and passed from generation to generation. Um, and, and moreover, later, busting people on that show um, that they're when they're hunting for criminals. I forget what, what's the name of that show. Um, is that, uh, it's a live it's PD. On, no, oh, it's on oh, HL, oh. HLN. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've, every time I've had to go to travel. <laughs> no, I'll think of it later. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, but um, Watson and, no, no, bird. not that one, Bird. No. Um, and a man followed it or actually just threw it out the window. I don't need stinking <laughs> instructions. Um, so Crick and Watson later had a falling out over Watson's book which Crick felt misrepresented their collaboration and betrayed their friendship. A larger controversy arose over the use of Watson and Crick made of research done by another DNA researcher, Rosalind Franklin, whose colleague Maurice Wilkins showed her X-ray photographic work to Watson just before he and Crick made their famous discovery. Scandalous. When Crick and Watson won the Nobel Prize in 1962, they shared it with Wilkins. Franklin, who died in 1958 of ovarian cancer and was thus ineligible for the award, never learned of the role her photos played in the historic scientific breakthrough. Um, what a rip. I mean, <laughs> geez. But that's this day in history, February 28, 1953. I like that DNA thing they did on, on the first Jurassic Park, you know, when they did the little ride <laughs> thing and they <laughs> had the little talking DNAs jump up on yeah. the screen. Well, let's look and see what <laughs> DNA can do. And then we just start mixing stuff together. And see. Yeah, I mean, and then all of a sudden we plugged in a frog. Yeah. Um, then we, we created this humongous flesh-eating monster. <laughs> We've spared no expense, no expense. Is that going to be on the ride or on the tour? <laughs> oh. uh, uh, yeah, people, we can go anywhere with these uh, stories. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't do. take much. <laughs> we have detours. We got a million of them. That... Oh, yes. Or should uh, well, I say tangents? Like Maybe it's... it's a tangent. Could be. Um, Not tango, but tangent. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. guess it's ready for your boys to come out and play. Oh, wait well. for that. <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> I love, I love, I love my calendar girl. Oh, sweet calendar girl. I love, I love, I love my calendar girl. Each and every day. <laughs> gonna march you right down somewhere yeah right 
Well, and in, in 25 minutes, it'll be March. Oh. Okay. Huh? What? <laughs> Who said? Uh, tonight, we do have several, but a couple of them I'm not going to. I'm not really going to go in too deep on maybe, maybe three of them. And I'm not going to go too deep because there's a couple of them. One of them is one of my favorite subjects. And, uh, I'll, I'll tell you that in a minute. So today is national chocolate souffle day. You ever had a, had a souffle? I have. Um, have you? Yeah. Do you know what souffle means in French? <laughs> I do not, but I, I think it's, you're going to tell us, Donald Wayne. It, it's a, <laughs> the site says, <laughs> the word souffle is the past participle of the French verb souffler, which means to blow up. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if we can say that on, on no, a podcast. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, you're, now we've been labeled. Or loosely, more loosely, they can call it puff up. So Whoa. Uh, that's, that's I had what a puff up earlier today. That's <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about a souffle. I mean, you know. Uh, or a either, souffle, uh, depending on how you want to Either blows it. up or puffs up. Yeah. Uh, today is also National Floral Design Day, and I'm not going to talk about that because it's not a lot you can say, except, you know, yeah. it's it's pretty flowers. Uh, it's also, on, on a serious note, it's a National Rare Disease Day. Uh, I'm not going in depth on that one either. So I'm going to focus on these next two. And the first one is, and probably a lot of us, I don't know. It may not be a, a, a ritual anymore, but today is national tooth fairy day. Oh, yes. <laughs> if, <laughs> you ever had any teeth knocked out, pulled out or fall uh, out, you know, yeah, right. got any money for it. Probably all the above there. <laughs> But this day encourages us to take a look back on the history of, of dental care's little helper. Um, in the mid 1920s, fairies were used for all sorts of health education <laughs> from, uh, from bath fairies to fresh air fairies as a way to get kids to remember to eat their vegetables, wash behind their ears and get a good night's rest. Yeah. While, Today's toothpaste advertisers have all types of enticing products to get people to brush properly. In the 1920, around 1925, it was a little more difficult since toothpaste was mostly peroxide and baking soda. So that, that must have been a treat. Thank goodness they got flavored toothpaste by the time I was able to start brushing my own teeth. Mm. Um, one advertisement was for a fairy wand tooth whitener and this was in the 40s i believe this product promised to brush away cigarette and coffee stains now here's here's an ad statement that went along with that it said the ad aimed at both children and adults <laughs> so i mean uh i wonder how many kids were drinking coffee and smoking camels in those days but that just seemed like a weird thing that that said that that ad was geared towards adults and children you know is that just me? Do I, am I the only one that think that that sounds a little odd? But uh, the the tooth fairy was born in 1927 when Esther Watkins Arnold printed an eight-page playlet for children called the Tooth Fairy. The same year, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 
proved his claim that fairies and gnomes are real and verified with pictures of two little girls surrounded by fairies. The world was ripe with imagination and primed to have a tooth fairy about to come collect the lost teeth of little boys and girls and leave a coin or two behind. In 1942, during World War II, some children were likely to receive war stamps put under their pillow when they lost teeth. I'm glad I missed out on that cycle as well. Today, the average payout for a lost tooth ranges from $3 to $4 and can go higher if dad is in charge. So, and I will admit that I was always a little bit more, uh, uh, I gave a higher payout per tooth than uh, other people. <laughs> so, all right. So, S and H green stamps. You you remember those? I I, I don't. It didn't mention that anybody got S and H green stamps. That probably came on just a little bit later. Uh, I think I actually had two or three books of stamps that uh that uh i never did redeem did we eric did we lose dennis um it looks like we did i don't know if he got kicked off but hopefully he'll be back in a minute i thought he was awful quiet i thought okay what happened and i can lean over here and i see that he's not on the board all right the next thing and, and this is one of my favorite ones because <laughs> i like naps so today was national public 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 sleeping day uh this day was created to encourage a midday nap right where you are so the site says it is a day for anyone and everyone to take a nap on a blanket at the beach at the park in the movie theater which sounds a little odd on a bus now i've had some movies put me to sleep in the theater but i never went there intentionally to take a nap uh, on a bus a train or a subway or any other public place that may work for you However, it may not be a good idea to take that nap at your desk during work. Uh, then it goes on to say there's different kinds of naps. I never knew that. I'd heard of the first one I've heard of, the power nap. And that's a, an approximately 10 to 20 minute long nap that you can uh, take to give yourself a boost of energy to get through the rest of the day. And um, I've actually done that myself. It doesn't leave us drowsy like some longer naps might and will still allow us to fall asleep at a decent time at night. The hangover is, let me hang on a second. Dennis is texting me here. <laughs> See what happened to him. Um, kicked out or something. Yeah. If you're calling in, I cannot see you on the board. So I can't, I can't click you in. You're not um, showing up. Um, um, I, I guess if you're texting him to let him know that, um, you know, you know, if he's trying to get back in. Yeah. Bear with me a second, everybody. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me tell him um, that he, I can't. Right, he's back. Uh, oh, there he is. Okay. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> They tried to get me this time, Donald Wayne. I, <laughs> you know, the inside of a potato sack doesn't smell very good. I tell you that. Yeah. yeah. Did yeah. you fend them off? I fended them off. I tell you, okay. they get. You know, they're not going to be in good shape tomorrow, but we'll be all right. So. <laughs> Use that old taser on them. Uh, <laughs> That's right. 
Go right ahead, sir. All right. So I went through the power nap. And uh, like I said, I've, 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 that's one of my favorite things to do when I have the opportunity. Um, then the next kind of nap is the hangover, which that's an odd name for a nap, but that's about 30 minutes long. So this site says, um, which is 10 minutes too long, leaving us loopy and wanting just to stay asleep. It'll sap. Let's see. We will snap out of it and feel much better. Like we had a power nap, but it may take a bit of effort before we feel those benefits. So there, this site saying, yeah, the hangover is a little bit too long to try to take a nap. The next kind of nap is the brainiac. And that one lasts 60 minutes includes deep sleep. While we may feel a little grogginess upon waking up, our ability to recall facts, names, and faces will be improved. Maybe I should start taking Brainiac naps. This type of nap may be the best uh, after a round of studying or before a big test. And the last kind of nap, according to the site, is called the California King. And that one lasts 90 minutes. And it's typically a full cycle of sleep. It will also include REM or rapid eye movement or a dream stage. This nap improves creative thinking and motor memory, but nighttime sleep may become elusive. So the article goes on to say that some employers have begun to recognize the value of naps. Studies have shown certain types of naps fuel the brain and recharge our batteries. Naps can improve productivity, decrease health risk, and improve morale. Employers such as Google, Huffington Post, AOL, and Nike offer sleep pods or sleep rooms to their employees. <laughs> Sounds a little dangerous to uh, reap these benefits. And the site, the last thing it said here is the top five places for public sleeping. I don't know. This sounds a little risky to me. It goes on to say, we recommend leaving all valuables at home to avoid any theft during your slumber. So the fifth most popular place for public sleeping is under a tree. Number four is the mall in the middle of the work week. I don't quite understand that one. Number three is reference aisle of the library. You'll probably get arrested. Um, Number two is the last pew in church during services. And then number one is a theater showing old silent movies. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't think I'd try any of that personally. I, <laughs> I think they go in there and do things other than take naps, Donald Wayne. Well, it's, the, it's not an it's old probably... silent movie, not an old porn movie. I mean, <laughs> there's a difference. Do they um, even show silent movies in theaters anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe it's some of those older theaters like down in Atlanta, maybe, you know, maybe uh -huh. there's, I know the, uh, the strand theater here in Marietta square and mm -hmm. Cobb County. Mm -hmm. I think they show old movies, but I don't know that I've ever heard of them showing a silent movie. I don't know how many people would actually go to that. Uh, I don't know that the last several generations would enjoy an old silent movie, but could be wrong. Uh, maybe there's enough old people in the neighborhood, but you know, uh, I have fallen asleep in a movie theater when the movie is just, just that bad. 
Well, and for and, those that uh, don't know, silent movies aren't entirely si- they aren't silent. They actually have music playing. Well, yeah, they have music, um, but they're you know it's not like well, I mean who would go to a movie and they're no closed captioned. They'll they'll have the you know what the actors are saying sometimes typed out. Of course, their their lips will move. Lo- <laughs> <laughs> again, again, that's <laughs> part of the problem with these. Yeah, their lips will move. <laughs> You know, five minutes, and then there'll be three words typed on the screen. So, you know, (laughs) kind of like some of the old dub movies from, you know, the foreign films that are dubbed and, Mm. and, uh, you know, their mouth moves forever. And then they only get two or three words out of it. All right, Dennis Lee, that's it for National Calendar Day. And I'm going to go take a nap. (laughs) Okay, well, Let's, I need a power nap. Let's let the boys get back out and help you with your slumber there. Huh? You're the Easter bunny when you smile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my heart's in a world. I love, I love, I love my little calendar girl. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day of the That's the most energetic bunch of guys I've ever heard. Sing a song. I can only imagine what those parties are like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you got a story for us? I do, actually. Um, you know, and it's one that came up that um, the Washington Examiner put together. Uh, Rob Crilly uh, put together about coronavirus was the best thing that ever happened to Biden. A key aide says in a book, scandalous. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it goes on to say that COVID-19 was the best thing that could have happened to Joe Biden's presidential campaign, according to one of his closest advisors. A new book revealed that Anita Dunn made the comment in private to an associate, uh, according to The Guardian, which obtained a copy um, at a time when the United States was struggling with rising death tolls, shattered economy because of lockdowns and a health system close to breaking because of overflow from the coronavirus pandemic. Um, The details are contained in lucky how Joe Biden barely won the presidency by Jonathan (laughs) Allen and Amy Parnes. Um, Yeah, it, it, it is the first major book on the 2020 election and is due to be published on March 2nd. So you can run out Tuesday and get your copy. Um, that seems kind of quick, doesn't um, it? It does, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you got to catch it while it's hot. Um, yeah, and you're right, BP. Um, it describes how Dunn said COVID is the best thing that ever happened to him. And comments and in comments, the author suggested campaign officials believed, but would never say in public. I wonder why. Um, that private thinking reflects what many political analysts said at the time that the rampant pandemic undermined then President Donald Trump's solid, solid economic achievements and standing in national and battleground state opinion polls. But the comments couldn't be uh, could be seized on by Biden's critics that his campaign used the suffering of the public in the opportunistic pursuit of power. No, they wouldn't <laughs> do that. I mean, I just can't believe it. Um, no, Dunn worked as guys. no, not those guys at all. I mean, you know, 
Uh, Dunn worked as an interim communications director at the White House under President Barack Obama in 2009 before returning to the private sector, the article says. In 2020, she again took on the role of communications director for the Biden campaign before being appointed co-chairwoman of the Biden-Harris transition team. Last month, she joined the White House as a senior advisor. I wonder how long that's going to last. Uh, <laughs> a post, um, a po- post-mortem uh, examination by Trump's chief pollster concluded that the former president's handling of the coronavirus crisis was a critical factor in his defeat. It found that the handling of the pandemic was the top issue for voters and that in states that flipped, Biden carried those voters by a margin of nearly three to one or by way of faulty voting machines. That's not in there, but I just had to throw that in there. I yeah. mean, um, <laughs> voting machines I I mean that's just a conspiracy Um, we'll be labeled for sure it Um, hasn't been proven not proven not discredited Um, but yeah I mean how you know how how else would he think because he you know like it said in the article Donald Trump did have a solid um, economy during the majority of his presidency um you know, that's what I tell people. You may, you know, hate him or, or, or love him or hate him. Um, you didn't agree with what he said and spouted off on on Twitter, but he did just about everything that he said he was going to do with uh, with his administration when he came in. So, well, how many people have worked for someone you know higher up that that they didn't like? I mean, I've had a number of bosses in my life, and there's been several that I. You know, I couldn't stand. I didn't like like their personality or some of the ways they would treat the employees. But you know, uh, <laughs> I had a job, and right. a lot of times it was a good paying job. So, you know, it's just just hard to. I, I and, and it was it was said, you know, early on last year, you know, maybe by the spring, that uh, a lot of opinions were that this coronavirus thing was going to be blown up and carried out as long as they can, at least all the way to the election time. Well, and they didn't figure it was enough, so let's go ahead and, you know, add in a heap and helping of riots, you know, to, yeah. uh, to push that even further. Um, I, you know, a little, little unrest. Well, you know, we'll add in a little unrest. Um, you know, uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll get... Probably not the time to bring up the way I feel about the pandemic and and all that good stuff. So, or bad stuff, anyway. Yeah, it was. It's a mess. I still feel like there was a design in some of that, you know, or they certainly took advantage of the situation and 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 Mm -hmm. made it into something that was going to work out to their advantage, especially, in my opinion as far as voting is concerned, this garbage about voting, you know, start voting in June and, um, you know, vote for months. And it's just, you know, they just, they, they milk that cow dry. And right. um, I heard them talking today. It, it Now that they've got the COVID bill, well, I guess the, the, the Senate still has to approve it, but 
you know, more than likely they've got the votes unless a Democrat jumps ship. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's going to get passed. I mean, you know, but here the, they here here the hypocrisy is rampant because they they've been beating that horse. That, oh, we need to get this passed. We need to get it passed, and then oh, we need to wait. It needs to wait till we have the new, you know, until Biden comes into power, and then we're into March, and. Um, the folks that need it still don't have it. So they're stretching it all the way to the end. So we'd be lucky for anybody to even start seeing any of those payments before the end of this month, uh, before the end of March. But what is it? And, and I know, I, I think probably, um, probably we, we should probably talk about uh, the COVID bill and what's in it again, maybe one day this week, uh, right. Tuesday or Wednesday. Cause I, you know, I'm thoroughly pissed off about all the crap they put in there. And these people spend this money like it's nothing. It's, it's with no regard. And then they want to call it a COVID relief package, which I think that um, uh, the White House press secretary, is it Pisecki? Pisecki? Pisaki, yes. Pisaki? We'll circle around to that, Donald Wayne. Um uh, uh, I've I've even heard some in the media nickname her Ratchety Ann because of the resemblance. She said it wasn't really a COVID relief package. So um, it it certainly isn't based on the percentages that that they're showing. But we'll talk about that either uh, on the Tuesday episode or or Wednesday. Well, no, we can't do Wednesday because we got to be funny on Wednesday. We got to be funny. What what am I, a clown? I'm here to amuse you. (laughs) Yeah, Um, so maybe we'll do it on Tuesday. But. Well, you know, and it's just, it's, it's real, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, the light at the end of the tunnel, we're right there at it, you know, and, and all of a sudden, it's like COVID's just going to disappear. If it totally just disappeared, just dissipates, and it's, an, it's a non-issue um, by the end of March into April, be very, very intrigued how that can just go away like that. Very, very, very interesting. I mean, yeah. there's just so much disinformation going on right now with the administration that it's not even funny. Yeah, not yep. even funny. But I digress. All right. Well, so my first story is is about um, the little side story about the CPAC this week um so it start thursday or friday I, I i think it was started on thursday it seemed like i heard somebody talking about being there on thursday but oh CPAC. Anyway, cpat what did i say I, I thought you said cpap hey you don't have to have one of those machines anymore they've got <laughs> They can implant stuff in your brain and uh, chest. Whoa. My uh, <laughs> okay. So we're not going to do a medical show tonight because I'm sure don't. we'd get in trouble with those. <laughs> yes, we would. This is what you call. Okay. Um, <laughs> what did I say? Donald Trump wins CPAC straw poll by wide margin. So I guess everybody pretty much knows what a straw poll is. That's just where they run around <laughs> questioning people. I mean, it's almost worthless, but, 
Oh, well, they, they, they do it sometimes even before elections. They'll say, well, we did a straw poll. and But anyway, so they did a straw poll at CPAC. And the so the article, this is in Fox, uh, off of a Fox website. But the Conservative Political Action Conference that was held in Orlando, Florida this week announced today that former President Donald Trump won the straw poll. There's a surprise with 55% of the intent attendees saying they'd vote for him if the 2024 GOP primary were today. Trump got that 44% of the vote in a poll, which included Florida Governor Ron DeSantis coming in second place at 21%. CPAC also took a poll without Trump being in it, and DeSantis won that poll. Well, how many other people were in there? But DeSantis won that poll with 43% of the vote that time, followed by South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem with 11% and Donald Trump Jr. at 8%. They're asking if Donald Trump Jr. is going to run. And I kind of like the Kristi Noem. I I probably need to find out a little more about her, but I like her personality, the the times that I've seen her on the news. she looks like she might be somewhat of a fighter. So, um, but anyway, she got 11% of the straw poll. Trump's approval rating in the straw poll was 97% with 87% saying they strongly approve of Trump's job as president. And 68% of the people at CPAC in the straw poll said that Trump should run for president again. The straw poll is not a scientific poll and CPAC sold itself as a pro-Trump Trump gathering ahead of time. So it is likely that the self-selected crowd is more pro-Trump than the Republican Party at large. There was even a golden statue, which may, many compared to an idol of the former president. Yeah, I saw that. That was actually funny. I haven't seen it, but that's... Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. I think when now. you actually, when you rub his hair, it says China, <laughs> China. I mean, that's going to drive the, the liberals nuts. If that's, yeah, that's a true story. They're going to say, ah, he's made himself out to be a God. Um, the American conservative union president, Matt Schlapp also <laughs> said in an interview with Fox news last week that any Republicans wanting to win the 2024 GOP nomination would need to be closely aligned with Donald Trump. Look, you're not going to get the Republican nomination being a never Trumper slap said that's kind of hard to say quickly. (laughs) You're not going to get the Republican nomination if you're not a strong conservative. So all that kind of courting it's appropriate that it starts at CPAC. Republicans who have been highly critical of the former president performed very poorly in the CPAC straw poll. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, I wonder if he's in Hogan's Heroes, he only got one-tenth of a percent, while Senator Mitt Romney of Utah got uh, three-tenths of a percent in the straw poll. Notably, 95% of those who responded to the CPAC straw poll said that the GOP should continue with the Trump agenda, and only 3% of those polled said that the Republican Party should change directions. So there's that from CPAC, and maybe by Tuesday night we'll we'll have some uh, 
clips and stuff that we can play of some of the things that Donald Trump said. I found a site that said what they thought Donald <laughs> Trump would say, but I didn't. I just figured I would wait until we actually get get it from the horse's mouth. So indeed. So that's it from CPAC. Back uh, to you, Dennis Lee. Well, I tell you, that's a <laughs> that's a good one, Donald Wayne. <clears throat> yeah, I saw that that picture of that golden statue, and I, I was like, oh it. boy, I, you know, it said something about the American flag and some shorts. And uh, I didn't see any of that. They must have added American that flag out. and shorts. They made yeah. shorts out of American flag. Uh, something, yeah. They said like he was dressed up in shorts. I don't know. Um, I'm sure more of that will come out. Uh, when I, mean, I saw pictures of him. Uh, I, I mean, they were showing a clip on Fox earlier. I think it was uh, before the Mark Levin show. Yeah. And I, I, I believe he was fully dressed, but I could be wrong. I, he was standing in front of the podium. So <laughs> I've got a um I've got an article um that came from Hillsdale College and I think you get these um letters that come in or the pamphlet that comes into mail your mail as well. I do um, that has the um imprimis in it that has articles from different individuals every month, I believe. <clears throat> so this one is a article by um, Al- Alam Bokhari um, for Breitbart News, and it's basically talking about big tech. Is who is in control? The need to rein in big tech. Um, it starts off by saying in January, when every major Silicon Valley tech company permanently banned the president of the United States from its platform, there was a backlash around the world. One after another, government and party leaders, many of them ideologically opposed to the policies of President Trump, raised their voices against the power and arrogance of the American tech giants. These included the president of Mexico, the chancellor of Germany, the government of Poland, ministers in the French and Australian governments, the neoliberal center-right bloc in the European Parliament, the national populist bloc in the European Parliament, the leader of the Russian opposition who recently survived an assassination attempt, and the Russian government, which may well have been behind the attempt. Um, Common threats create strange bedfellows. Socialists, conservatives, nationalists, neoliberals, autocrats, and anti-autocrats may not agree on much, but they all recognize that the tech giants have accumulated far too much power. None like the idea that a pack of American hipsters in Silicon Valley can, at any moment, cut off their digital lines of communication. The uh, author says he published a book on this topic prior to the November election. And many who called me alarmists then are not so sure of that now, the author says. I built the book on interviews with Silicon Valley insiders and five years of reporting as a Breitbart news tech correspondent. Breitbart created a dedicated tech reporting team in 2015, a time when few recognized the danger that was rising Uh, that the rising tide of left-wing hostility to free speech would pose 
to the vision of the World Wide Web as a free and open platform for all viewpoints. This inversion of that early libertarian ideal, the movement from the freedom of information to the control of information on the web, has been the story of the past five years. When the web was created in the 1990s, the goal was that everyone who wanted to have a voice could have one. All a person had to do was access the global marketplace of ideas and uh, was go online and set up the website. Once created, the website belonged to that person, especially if the person owned his or her own server. No one could do platform that individual. That was by design because the web, when it was invented, was competing with other types of online services that were not so free and open. It is important to remember that the web, as we know it today, a network of websites accessed through browsers, was not the first online service ever created. In the 1990s, Sir Timothy Berners-Lee invented the technology that underpins websites and web browsers, creating the web as we know it today. But there were other online services, some of which predated Berners-Lee's invention. Corporations like CompuServe and Prodigy ran their own online networks in the 1990s. Networks that were separate from the web and had access points that were different from web browsers. These privately owned networks were open to the public, but CompuServe and Prodigy owned every bit of information on them and could kick people off their networks for any reason. In these ways, the web was different. No one owned it owned the information on it, or could kick anyone off. That was the idea, at least, before the web was captured by a handful of corporations. We all know their names, Google, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Amazon. Like Prodigy and CompuServe back in the 90s, they own everything on their platforms, and they have the police power over what can be said and who can participate. But it matters a lot more today than it did in the 90s. Back then, very few people used online services. Today, everyone uses them. It is practically impossible not to use them. Businesses depend on them. News publishers depend on them. Politicians and political activists depend on them. And crucially, citizens depend on them for information. I mean, hell, we depend on them um, to get across to, to new listeners. Right, Donald Wayne? Yeah, we do. Definitely. Today, big tech doesn't just mean control over the online information. It means control over news. It means control over commerce. It means control over politics. And how are the corporate tech giants using their control? Judging by the three biggest moves that have made that they have made since uh, this author wrote the book, The censoring of the New York Post in October when it was published its blockbuster stories on the Biden family corruption, the censorship on and eventual banning from the web of President Trump, and the coordinated takedown of the upstart social media site Parler. And it it is obvious that big tech's priority today is to support the political left and the Washington establishment. Big tech has become the most powerful election-influenced machine in American history. 
And it's not an exaggeration to say that if the technologists of Silicon Valley are allowed to develop their fullest extent without any oversight or checks and balances, then we will never have another free and fair election. But the power of big tech goes beyond the manipulation of political behavior. As one of my Facebook sources told me in an interview for my book, we have thousands of people on the platform who have gone from far right to center in the past year. So we can build a model from those people and try to make everyone else on the right follow the same path. Let that sink in. They don't just want to control information or even voting behavior. They want to manipulate people's worldview. It's too much to say that big tech has prioritized this kind of manipulation. Consider that Twitter is currently facing a lawsuit from a victim of child sexual abuse who says that the company repeatedly failed to take down a video depicting his assault and that it eventually agreed to do so only after the intervention of an agent from the Department of Homeland Security. So Twitter will take it upon itself to ban the President of the United States, but is alleged to have taken down child pornography only after being prodded by federal law enforcement. How does big tech go about manipulating our thoughts and behavior? It begins with the fact that these tech companies strive to, to know everything about us, our likes, our dislikes, the issues we're interested in, the websites we visit, the videos we watch, who we voted for, and our party affiliation. If you search for a Hanukkah recipe, they'll know you're likely Jewish. If, you, if you're running down the Yankees, they'll figure out If you're a Red Sox fan, even if your smartphone is turned off, they'll track your location. They know who you work for, who your friends are, when you're walking your dog, whether you go to church, when you're standing in line to vote, and on and on and on. As I already mentioned, the article says, the big tech also monitors how our beliefs and behaviors are changed over time. They the identity and the, they identify the types of content that can change our beliefs and behavior, and they put that knowledge to use. They've done this openly for a long time to manipulate the consumer behavior to get us to click on certain ads or buy certain products. Anyone who has used these platforms for an extended period of time has no doubt encountered the creepy phenomenon when you're searching for information about a product or a service, say a microwave, and then minutes later, advertisements for microwaves start appearing on your screen as if by magic. These same (laughs) techniques can be used to manipulate political opinions. I know, right, Donald Wayne? We talk about it here all the time. You know, um, we do even even done tests on it. Well, let's Let's look for crockpots. Blah, 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 so blah, be blah. careful what you search for. <laughs> well, or even what you talk about. Because then when you click on your Google browser, it will give you those suggestions even when you haven't searched for it. Um, be aware of what your settings are on your apps. <laughs> um So the article mentioned that big tech has recently demonstrated ideological bias, but it is equally true that these companies have huge economic interests at stake in politics. The party that holds power will determine whether they are going to get government contracts, 
whether they're going to get to big tax breaks, and whether and how their industry will be regulated. Clearly, they have a commercial interest in political control, and currently no one is preventing them from exerting it. To understand how effective big tech's manipulation could become, consider the feedback loop. As big tech constantly collects data about us, they run tests to see what information has an impact on us. Let's say they put a negative news story about someone or something in front of us, and we don't click on it or read it. They keep at it until they find content that has the desired effect. The feedback loop constantly improves, and it does so in a way that's undetectable. What determines what appears at the top of a person's Facebook feed, Twitter feed, or Google search results? Does it appear that they're there because it's popular or because it's gone viral? Is it there because it's what you're interested in? Or is it there because another reason big tech wants it to be there? Is it there because big tech has gathered data that suggests it's likely to nudge your thinking or your behavior in a certain direction? How can we know? What we do know is that big tech openly manipulates the content people see. We know, for example, that Google reduced the visibility of Breitbart news links and search results by 99% in 2020 compared to the same period in 2016. We know that after Google introduced an update last summer, clicks on Breitbart news stories from Google research searches for Joe Biden went to zero and stayed at zero through the election. This didn't happen gradually, but in one fell swoop, as if Google flipped a switch. And this was discoverable through the use of Google's own traffic analysis tools. So it isn't as if Google cared that we knew about it at all. Speaking of flipping switches, I've noticed that President Trump was collectively banned by Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, Snapchat, and every (laughs) other social media platform you can think of. But even before that, there was a manipulation going on. Twitter, for instance, reduced engagement of the president's tweets by over 80%. Facebook deleted posts by the president for spreading so-called disinformation. But even more troubling, I think, are the visible things, the invisible things these companies do. Consider quality ratings. Every big tech platform has some version of this. Through some of them use uh, different names. The quality rating is what determines what appears at the top of your search results. So, or or your Twitter or Facebook feed. It's a numerical value based on what big tech's algorithms determine in terms of quality. In the past, the score was determined by criteria that were somewhat objective. If a website or a post contained viruses, malware, spam, or copyrighted material that would negatively impact its quality score. If a video or post was gaining in popularity, this quality score would increase, you know, which is fair enough. Over the past several years, however, the one uh, and one can trace the beginning of the change to Donald Trump's victory in 2016. Big tech has introduced all sorts of new criteria into the mix that determines quality scores. Today, the algorithms on Google and Facebook have been trained to detect hate speech misinformation, and authoritative um, as opposed to non-authoritative sources. Algorithms analyze a user's network so so that whatever users follow on social media 
non-authoritative news outlets affects the user's quality score. Algorithms also detect the use of language frowned on by big tech, illegal immigrant, bad in place of undocumented immigrant, and adjust quality scores accordingly, and so on, and so on, and so on. This is not to say that you are informed of this or, or that you can look up your quality score. All of this happens invisibly. It is Silicon Valley's version of the social credit system overseen by the Chinese Communist Party. As in China, if you defy the values of the ruling elite or challenge narratives that the elite labels authoritative, your score will be reduced and your voice suppressed. And it will happen silently without your knowledge. This technology is even scarier when being combined with big tech's ability to detect and monitor entire networks of people. A field of computer science called network analysis is dedicated to identifying groups of people with shared interests, who read similar websites, who talk about similar things, who have similar habits, who follow similar people on social media and who share similar political viewpoints. Big tech companies are able to detect when particular information is flowing through a particular network. If there's a news story or a post or a video, for instance, that's going viral among conservatives or among voters as a whole, this gives them the ability to shut down a story they don't like before it gets out of hand. And these systems are growing more sophisticated all the time. If big tech's capabilities are allowed to develop unchecked and unregulated, these companies will eventually have the power not only to suppress existing political movements, but to anticipate and prevent the emergence of new ones. This would mean the end of democracy as we know it, because it would place us forever under the thumb of an unaccountable oligarchy. The good news is there is a way to rein in the tyrannical tech giants. And the way is simple. Take away their power to filter information and filter data on our behalf. All of Big Tech's power comes from the content filters. The filters on the hate speech, the filters on misinformation, the filters that distinguish authoritative from non-authoritative sources. Right now, these filters are switched on by default. We as individuals can turn them off. But it doesn't have to be that way. The most important demand we can make of lawmakers and regulators is that big tech be forbidden from activating these filters without our knowledge and consent. They should be prohibited from doing this and even from nudging us to turn on a filter under penalty of losing their Section 230 immunity as publishers of third-party content. This policy should be strictly enforced and it should extend over even to seemingly non-political filters like relevance and popularity. Anything less opens the door to manipulation. Our ultimate goal should be a marketplace in which third-party companies would be free to design filters that could be plugged into services like Twitter, Facebook, Google, and YouTube. In other words, we would have two separate categories of companies, those that host content and those that create filters to sort through their content. In a marketplace like that, users would have the maximum level of choice in determining their online experiences. At the same time, big tech would lose its power to manipulate our thoughts and behavior and to ban legal content, which is just 
a more extreme form of filtering from the web. This should be the standard we demand, and it should be industry-wide. The alternative is a kind of digital serfdom. We don't allow old-fashioned serfdom anymore. Individuals and businesses have due process and can't be evicted because their landlord doesn't like their politics. Why shouldn't we also have these rights in our business or livelihood depends on a Facebook page or a Twitter or a YouTube account. This is an issue that goes beyond partisanship. The tech giants are doing it's it, what the tech giants are doing is so transparently unjust that all Americans should start caring about it because under the current arrangement we are all at their mercy. The World Wide Web was meant to liberate us. It is now doing the opposite. Big tech is increasingly in control. The most pressing question today is, how are we going to take control back? And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) You know, one of the things that scares me that I heard last year, never thought about it before, but the cameras that are on our computers or even on our TV sets, you cover on our them smart up. TVs, you cover that them up. even if your TV's turned off, people can access that and turn them on and then see what's going on in your household. You have to cover up your, your um, lens. I actually happen here on my computer that I use for my show. Um, I had someone that was on the show that they could actually see me through my camera that I had left up and, Normally, I just hadn't forgotten about it, so I had to uh, turn it off. Oh, yeah, that's, that's it's real. That's that's a real issue. But to think that they could somebody remotely could turn on your TV set and access your camera yeah. when you're not, you know, you're not even using the TV. Is, they can is, do the same thing with one of those uh, Roombas. Donald Wayne with one of those um, oh, yeah. robots. Yeah. They can, Didn't we talk about that earlier? We did, yeah. Year? They can figure out the pattern, the, the layout of your house um, just by the um, information that's stored in the Roomba that they can <laughs> hack into. I mean, so we accept all this stuff as, as a means of convenience in our life or a means to accomplish what we would like to do, information or looking up things or whatever we do on the computer. But yet, we're just feeding these people who are trying to use some of that stuff to their advantage and taking advantage of us. That's just, yeah. Well, just think about it. If you've got the if you've got the Google app on your phone or whatever browser you may you may be using, to where um, it can constantly listen to you, then I mean, individuals know when you're leaving the house, when you're when you know where you're going to be. I mean, they could stage a hit on you. Um, if they needed yeah. to for any reason. And it would be so easy because all the information is right there. Um, without you even thinking about it, you're like, well, I don't have an Alexa. No, but you have a cell phone and you've got those 50 different apps on it that are turned on and have every um, every authorization that they, that they need. Because when people are downloading apps, they're like, oh, they just want to get the app. They're just concerned about playing the game or you know, getting that coupon or whatever. So yeah. it's like, do you ever read the the fine print, what you're agreeing to when you, 
you download that app. Well, right, and it says, um, "Would you like to the, this app to ha- have access, uh, allow access to your photos? Would you allow it to uh, have access to your microphone and to your camera?" And you're just like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah. whatever. I just want to get to the. I just want to get to what I need to do." Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, then it bites you in the butt. Yeah, it's you know, I mean. We're partially to blame for what we've accepted, but then again, they're also taking advantage of us because they know we want certain things. We enjoy certain things, benefits from being, you know, on the web or using our phones to play games. And it's just, uh, they're, they're taking advantage of, of what we like to do so they can turn it around for their benefit. Right. And that's just, I don't know. And, and the government's not helping us here. They're not, protecting us because they're probably getting a lot of donations politically from, you know, from high tech companies. We know Mr. Twitter does. (laughs) Oh yes. Is that Bezos? And that is that Mm. Bezos? Yes. Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Amazon is Jeff Bezos. Zuckerberg is Facebook. Okay. Um, when when MySpace was around, that was Tom Anderson. MySpace, boy, we're really taking the taking the time travel well, back in there. <laughs> no, you know, right. MySpace I, is still around. Did you know that? Um, it, uh, you know, it, but it seems like it's like a shell of its former self because right, it's not as people, popular as it used to be. People still use it. People, it's, there's still people that have AOL addresses. Uh-huh. I have an AOL email address. Um, it's a Do secondary you? one. Yeah, um, that's funny. But I know AOL was was a big deal back in the late nineties and early two thousands. You've I, got look, mail. I, I remember when I had yeah. um, the dial up, and um, yeah, uh-huh. it was it was like, oh man, can't wait to hook it up, and ended up um, chatting with somebody from Australia. Mm-hmm. I guess they were from Australia. You didn't know then. I mean, you still don't know now. Well, but, um, and um, and every cool time you logged on to AOL, like hearing the "You've Got Mail." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that movie. You've got mail. Oh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. That was um, <laughs> yeah. a sleepless not in as, Seattle reunion. Yeah not, yeah, not as much as I like Sleepless in Seattle. That's my favorite of oh, the two. That's a but, good one. Yeah. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you got mail was kind of cute, but yeah, they they tried to take advantage of the popularity of the other one. I think that's the only movie I liked with Rosie O'Donnell in it. Um, well, she was in that baseball movie too, League of Their Own or something. Yeah. Like oh that. yeah, there's no she crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. That's and funny I think that some of these same people get together in movies a lot, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that movie also had Madonna and Gina Davis in it too. The, it the League yeah. of Their Own. I do. I didn't realize Gina Davis, you know, you know, you know, was very tall, of course, but I, I wouldn't say she's oh. in the six foot range. Like she's like five ten, five eleven, or something. Yeah, she's she's pretty tall. Um, my favorite movie that she was in was Beetlejuice. So. Oh yeah, opposite Alec Baldwin and Michael Keaton and and yeah, a young Winona Ryder. That was back when I actually liked Alec Baldwin. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, October. And, and the woman who played um, Lydia's stepmother in Beetlejuice, um, that that was Kevin's mother from Home Alone. Um, I think it's Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, Lydia, Lydia. Da, 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 da. Um, you know um, another movie <laughs> that uh, that she was in, and it was kind of like a Catherine a O'Hara. Oh no, I, I'm sorry, Gina Davis. Uh, Gina oh, Davis, uh, she, she was, was in Thelma and Louise, opposite Susan Sarandon. I think she was uh, also she was in also Stuart in, Little movies. She was Long in Kiss Goodnight. She, she played, yeah, Long Kiss Goodnight. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Samuel Jackson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she was in Assassin. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, she she kicked some butt. As soon as she just came back to her assassin self, man, she was she was a force right. to reckon with. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mama's going <laughs> to do more than cook dinner. She, you know. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden she could strangle people out. Yeah. All right. Well, what? um, yes. Who? More. What? What? You're, 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 you got a update on, uh, on Fauci there. You got Donald yeah. Wayne. The heck you say Fauci. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, it's just kind of a quick thing that I saw this afternoon, and I was trying to look to see. I don't even know. I don't even know what source this is. It's showing a CNN thing on here, but the article's not on CNN. But anyway, the article says, "Finally, okay, yes, vaccinated people can get together and socialize." Says Fauci, and that was posted on the twenty. So when you get together, has everybody got to like? I'll show you yours and show you mine. If you can show me yours, has everybody got to see each other's, you know, COVID card? Oh, you're talking about cards? I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Well, I mean, mine. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, if, if you want to carry your card around, I keep mine on the desk and because if well, I, I carry it, you need to me, have I'd, it on your person. Uh, well, I don't, I'm not going to fly anywhere. I'm not going on public transportation. I go to Kroger. If they start asking for it at Kroger, I'll go somewhere else. Well, I'm you stay in the deli. Um, well, you know, if you stand there and, you know, survey all the meats, you might, you know, get in uh, trouble with somebody, but I do like to sample the cheeses. Um, <laughs> do you, do you yeah. go to the, um, to the uh, sushi bar at Kroger? No, 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 Donald Wayne. <laughs> I Who mean, gets, that thing is still in business. I mean, I don't you know. don't get sushi at Kroger. Um, I, I've never have. I, no. I wouldn't get sushi at Publix. I, I only go to Crocio's. That's the only place yeah, I get sushi. Pardon my, what did you call me, Donald Wayne? Crocio's. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness You've never been to Crocio's? No, I have not. Eric, From have you Bear been Park to Crocio's? Park. Um, don't think I have. I think it's the only one. Do you like here. sushi, Eric? I mean, I've eaten sushi before. Yeah, yeah. I like the tempura. Um, and um, and I know, like, like one of the earlier stories he talked about this evening is like Donald Trump speaking at CPAC. Um, um, I think I was on. I visited Cummings's culture show a little earlier, and I think a running joke about Donald Trump is he's li- living rent free in the heads of like the, the loony left, you know? And I think, I guess he's not afraid to, to be their boogeyman, but well, I, think I, they I, miss him. I think, I think they miss him being in, in the news. Oh yeah. You know, cause, because 
Because, you know, without them, you know, they're not going to hear the cash registers ringing yeah, in the sales department. Is, what else has yeah. CNN got to talk about? that? I man? mean, they can't talk about Biden because, you know, they're getting in trouble with the Democrats. Oh, yeah, they, because there will become, a, there, in my opinion, is there will come a time that they're going to get the OK to start talking about him. Whenever Biden decides, OK, it's well, time for Biden to move on. Uh, anybody notice when they show clips of him walking around, the, the man takes little steps? I mean, he really shuffles. Well, I've not a, seen him take strides. He's a shuffler. He's a shuffler? Yeah. And I'm not making fun of him because he shuffles, because, you know, you know when I get that age, I'm, I may shuffle too. But, but oh, um you know, another way, another thing too, is it had, had had Trump just stayed in seclusion, you know, we would probably still see the the Dems like tur- turning on each other. But but since he's back, I think he's going to continue to expose, you know, the political establishment with their britches down. Whoa! Well, Damn, there's Lord an image. Knows, but, Lord knows uh, we don't need to see that. <laughs> they, well, um, it's an idiom. They're they're going to. Uh, I mean, right now they're working on the t- income tax thing. We still got yeah. this. Uh, I, I won't call her name, but this Fulton County DA that's trying to bring charges against Donald Trump for his phone call to the Secretary of State. She thinks that. I guess she thinks she's going to get some notoriety out of that. So mm-hmm. there are still some things they're going after him for. But um, well, and then um, you've got to watch that New York State <laughs> Attorney General. You know, having her her sight set on governor Andrew Cuomo over the, like the, like the nursing home, like COVID deaths. Well, but I mean, I'm under the impression. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm under the impression that, that, that attorney general's got big fish to fry. Yeah. Yeah. But I digress. See, see how things progressed with Como Cuomo this Como Cuomo <laughs> Perry Como he's related to Perry Como Lord okay. no, he's flipping just quickly on Cuomo. on uh, Mr. Fauci one of my favorite people in the country he Fauci. gets he's the highest paid federal employee in this country just I keep stressing that uh, he makes almost a half a million dollars a year salary and then he has other things he gets paid for so uh, we won't well, go down that road right that. now. <laughs> we, we won't go down that road. Anyway, so uh, a few days ago, Fauci said, well, it says here, three days ago he warned us that he wouldn't advise vaccinated people to go out and eat or to the movies. Um, uh, so something about can't dine indoors, go to theaters, even if you're vaccinated, not because it's dangerous for uh, the people who have been vaccinated, but because it's potentially dangerous for the majority of the population that hasn't been immunized yet and with whom they would be mixing in those public spaces. <clears throat> vaccinated people could still spread the virus, even though they're spreading it less than an unvaccinated person would. So, well, and, and if you're vaccinated, you can still get sick. It's well, not that like is a true. superhuman yeah. shield from being able to pick up COVID-19 again, especially with all these different strains. Um, well, and, and, and the, uh, I think the single shot, uh, vaccination uh, is only supposed to be 60 something percent 
effect. Yeah, 63% Johnson and Johnson just came out, but they've even said that you're probably going to end up needing a follow-up shot with that one. Yeah, that's that's kind of disheartening. I mean, they may be giving us shots for years here, but um so he says that, you know, vaccinated people shouldn't still go out in public and mix with people that that you don't know whether they've been vaccinated. But now he's starting to say that vaccinated people can get together because they're, they're not going to be dangerous for each other. So um, he says, even though the CDC hasn't formally recommended that vaccinated people can get together at this time, we know that it's going to happen that people who have been vaccinated are all going to get together in groups and, you know, spend time with each other because there's, there's little risk to that. So So, I'm totally predicting that um, here probably within the next couple of weeks or so, since that's come out, that there'll be um, little vaccination chat groups vaccinated chat groups that'll come out and it's like you know it'll almost be like uh like you know um not tinder but um something like that that's you can okay well you know this uh, this is a site specifically dedicated to people who have been vaccinated from COVID 19 and and you have Um, to post your uh vaccination card on there so we want to shot of your vaccination card um, but you know, that doesn't protect you from anything else. So, uh, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, I was, uh, I, I did a job yesterday. I, a rare time that I actually work on a Saturday on, on doing my, my real paying job, but I had a customer who lives up, uh, North Fulton County and, uh, I love it up there cause there's a bunch of, uh, horse ranches and stuff and it's really pretty countryside. Wow, what well, ranch? A horse ranch. Oh, horse. Okay. Yeah. The things that you ride. Right. Right. Okay. I'm just <laughs> making but, sure. Yeah. And, um, now I've made me forget my point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what I'm going to do. Anyway, so they're kind of, you know, it's way up in, in North Fulton County and it's kind of away from everything. It's close to Canton which that doesn't mean anything to anybody listening to us right now. But um, he said that my customer said that those people up there that are removed from the big inner cities, uh, they've been eating out and they've been acting, you know, they wear masks and, and, and they do their preventative stuff, but they still, he said, restaurants are full out here all the time. So well, I actually um, those had people a haven't really changed me. their way of life other than taking precautions. I had a customer tell me about two weeks ago or so that um, I had a mask on and they're like, um, after I talked to them for about 20 seconds, he's like, um, are you sick boy? And I'm like, no, no, sir, I'm not sick. And yeah, you don't need to be talking to me like that. He said, well, take that damn mask off. I can't hear a freaking word you're saying. Um, You know, so yeah, there's places to where this frowned upon. Um, well, yeah, and there's places in Dallas, Georgia that I've said before that there's one particular hardware store. I'm not going to mention the name brand, but none of those people in there have worn a mask the entire time that I've been working up in that area. And, of course, I go in in a mask, and they look at me like I'm, I've am i got smallpox or something. Hey, look you know? at him. He must be a Democrat. Yeah, he's probably a carrier. 
but um, <laughs> yeah, Lord, if you in more ways than one. <laughs> but I think the mindset on people in rural areas, uh, especially around Georgia, is that they don't. They're not as concerned about it, and uh, but you know they. This family, they, they wore masks and stuff and around there. And um, it's, but people are just getting to the point now where they're just, they're done with it. Right. That's, that's you know, people are over. I mean, you know, I, I have to say this past, this weekend, I'm like, you know, I'm sick of not being able to go out and go to a movie. Um, you know, because there's uh there's only so many things you can do with your grandchild um, that you can't actually go. And and I'll have to say, last weekend, um, we went to uh, a place in uh, Marietta called Andretti's. I would not oh, recommend yeah. going to Andretti's because apparently that's the only one in our area. And um, I thought Chuck E. Cheese was bad. I mean, I haven't been there during COVID, but I'm like, oh, this has got to be better. No, no. Any place that yeah. involves alcohol and games for children um, or young adults um, is not a place to go. Uh, I was yeah. surprised. I started feeling a little ill a couple of days later. I said, Lord, <laughs> if I have COVID again. Um, just, well, you, know, you, you did wear a mask in there, didn't you, Dennis? Of course I did. And I mean, um. I squirted hand sanitizer on everybody. <laughs> You know, I saw well, a child running around without a parent. I'm like, here you go. We put some of this on yourself. Good Lord. Um, Mommy. But, you know, you're, uh, I'm saying that to be like, you know, yeah, people are getting tired of being, you know, we can't do normal life. And and I, for one, am ready to get back to it as well. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I mean, it, it, in, in one sense, I have to say that we realized that, you know, we were kind of in the habit of eating out quite a bit there before COVID. And, um, and now we've gotten out of the habit of it, obviously. And, and it's saved a lot of money. But, to, but, <laughs> but then have you, I mean, I know like our household, then, um, so you don't go out to eat, but then you justify doing Uber. Or someone else, you know, something like that. Well, we can't go out to eat, so. Well, yeah, we'll just, I always we'll just go get, pick it up. We'll just get it delivered. Yeah, and that way well, we're always go to pick support it the local economy. Yeah, um, and and that's kind of our thinking. We we wanted to continue eating uh, stuff that we didn't fix uh, occasionally, and and also to help keep you know the restaurants busy. But I noticed today on Dallas Highway that Longhorns was packed. Um, Taco Mac was pretty busy. I mean, a lot of, and uh, the little Mexican restaurant we go to down the road as well, it was pretty busy. But Well, everybody's not watching quite... CPAC today. It was a party. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know if they were doing it in there, but they could have been. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really ready to go into a, in, indoor dining yet, but... Um, I'm I'm kind of tired of all this other. Yeah, I guess if it wasn't for the trips to Target and Walmart, I w- I would feel kind of closed in. Other than just me working outside of the house and and going and and dealing with customers and stuff. But right. Uh, so I get a little bit of advantage because I well, do have opportunities to get out. And, when you're and, considered an essential an essential worker, 
And then, um, you know, anyway, that's what was that last word you used? Essential worker. Oh, I thought you said I, I, I looked that up when we first got uh, paperwork from the company to carry out into the field. Where have I heard essential worker before? And it was in the movie Schindler's List. Everybody who oh, yeah. was working in the concentra- concentration camps had to have papers that showed that they were an essential worker. Right. And so, that was the only thing that saved their life in many yeah, cases. That was an eerie, um, mm-hmm. yeah, eerie uh, similarity. So, <laughs> Well, so it, it looks like to some degree, the more people get vaccinated, then they're, they're going, people are going to start socializing more and more. Uh, at least the ones who know that they've all been vaccinated because the risk is, at least right now, they're saying the risk is very low for them contracting anything or giving it to anybody else, but they can't go out among the unwashed public, uh, that has not been, uh, vaccinated because they, there's still a risk there. So, all right. Well, I guess that's with that with Dr. Fauci. Um, if we don't have anything else, Dennis Lee, we're closing on the 45 here. You want to let Eric go on into, um, well, well, um, well, and of course, thank you. Of course, to our Podbean live listeners, BP 49, Mike Tampa Bay, Sir Minty bird and Tony and, a and a f- few other new names for dropping by. We do appreciate you. And, and as always, we appreciate the friends who listen to this downloaded ep- episode that, that is, you know, be, being going to be published as always. And, um, but, but for our Podbean live friends, um, we certainly encourage you to check out the chit chat with the old man show weekday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern time with, the old man, Dina Joe, and of course yours truly being Eric here. Um, and of course, you know, this week um, you, you can catch episodes of the John DeVito show Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And then t- Tuesday morning around 1130 a.m. Eastern time. Um, and then Robert um, has made some scheduling changes. He will be on now Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays around around four or five, 5 PM Eastern time. And then, and Tuesdays and Thursdays around 1 AM Eastern time. Um, no word yet on the, on weekends, whether those will be impromptu or not. Um, then Cummings is culture. You can catch him weekdays around six or 7 PM Eastern time. And then you can also catch Chuck and Billy's not your cup of tea weeknights around 8 PM Eastern time. If you're wanting some good, good, um, Laugh your you know what off comedy. Um, then you've also got the slightly serious show. He's on weeknights at nine thirty p.m. Eastern time, unless you know work commitments force him to delay until twelve thirty a.m. Eastern time. So be on the lookout for him, and also be on the lookout for Chris to do the Forgotten Tunes music show, and also be on the lookout for additional pod being friends like Jester with the It's Doomsday podcast, as well as the Woke Conservative podcast. And hopefully the Ralph William podcast returns with new episodes very soon. And hopefully he'll be back from his hiatus. And he's normally on weekdays around 6 a.m. Eastern time. And hopefully, you know, a new season of his Friday night sex talk of Virgin Ears is in the work, but we'll keep you posted on that. And then, and if you like the old man's podcast in the mornings, you'll also enjoy his 
Friday night music show every Friday night at 11 p.m. Eastern time, and plus his music show Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern. And and another great comedy show is the Lyrical Laxatives on Saturdays before Dennis Lee, and um, and also be on the lookout for Lady Me to do do her a, a day in the life of me as well as Lara to do communication station and the milk dog 2020 show and pink squirrel to do her. It's, you know, whose podcast is this anyway? Um, and a few other great podcast friends and hopefully, you know, every other Friday you'll have, of course, nonsense password, you know, surprising us. Um, and these are all the great shows still on Podbean live and we hope you'll enjoy and and Dennis Lee is here with how you can get in touch with Tall Tales of the Rabbit Hole and Trice Talk. Thanks, Eric. Well, thank you, Eric. And uh, before I say that, I'd like to say that um, this Wednesday, we will be announcing the new name for Wednesday Frivolity from one of the lucky um, persons that have submitted a name for the new <laughs> show or for the new segment. So... Um, that will be something to look forward to this Wednesday, and the winner will win something from the closet, the vault, the hole, wherever we keep it. You have no idea. Hey, almost scares me. There, almost, almost, almost. Um, just borderline. A borderline. So, yeah, if you want to get us, uh, rub us. Actually, you know snuggle up to us do it on twitter at tristalk wg moon um you can email us at tristalk 69 pts at gmail.com and let us know exactly how weird we've made you feel um and then you can go on to facebook we actually post all of our shows on there and the articles that we use um at tristalk on facebook and then you can find us on spotify at tristalk and even on Amazon Music at Talk, And we are on every Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern. And we appreciate you. We couldn't do it without you. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeedy. <laughs> and um, also, I did start up the uh, mini pods again. So... Yes, Definitely yes, be able to look out for those. Uh, a couple of those have been posted. I, we'll yeah. see if I can manage doing that on a regular basis. I'll try to get a little bit more consistent about it. But we we had so much go on last week that we didn't get to do some of the material we prepared. So I thought, well, I'll just use them as a mini pod. So those will be posting occasionally. And they're actually, well. uh, the two that you did are posted on Facebook already. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, does anybody say cool anymore? <laughs> oh, you <laughs> just did, date? actually. <laughs> I just said date myself. Somebody told well, me. Well, and um, I guess you're about, about ready to give your closing thought of the night. Um, I always have a closing thought. <laughs> so this one is from Jane Wagner. I don't know who that is, but. Um, Sounds Jane like said, that ought to be interesting. Jane says, when we talk to God, we're praying. When God talks to us, we're schizophrenic. So, obviously, Jane has an inside story on that. <laughs> Indeed. Do you think, do you, is that a deep one? Is that 
That's deep. That's fairly well, deep. That does sound pretty deep. Right. We talk to God, we're praying. When I think God he, talks to us, we're schizophrenic. I think he hit oil. Well, well, and you know, amen to that, which is Hebrew for so be it. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate everybody spending time with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us on Tri's Talk. And uh, please come back and uh, spend some time with us on Tuesday. And we'll be raking it up again. Uh, All right. We're going to go out of here with old Louie. Louie Armstrong, that is. Dennis Lee, would you like to turn out the lights? The party's over, Donald Wayne. Good night. Love you and God bless you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Stay safe, everybody. And I think to myself... Skies are blue, the brightest day.